good singing, you may be seated. It's a beautiful old hymn. We are such weak, fallible creatures. Best place to go is just to hide in him. Uh, next week will be the last message in the series on Joshua and the Promised Land. We're going to not be looking at the Promised Land, but at God, the God who's behind everything and above everything and uh, infuses everything with himself. Uh, I take it you have your... Notes. Does everybody have a copy of this? Um, that pretty much is the outline of what we're going to be talking about uh, tonight. Last week, uh, we talked about the history of the Promised Land, and I left out one very important date. 1850 marked the birth of communism. Uh, a man called Karl Marx and another man called Engels uh, published the Communist Manifesto, and some decades later, Karl Marx published his Das Kapital. Uh, today, we call it Marxism. Some people call it communism. It's a satanic philosophy that has taken over the world. Wherever it goes, it causes ruin, despair, destruction, poverty, and death. In the last century, 100 million people conservatively estimated to have died under communist rule. Um, and it's rapidly taking over America. Shocking, but true. Um, tonight, uh, we're going to be looking at the question, will we inherit everything that God has for us? You know, God has big plans for us. The question is whether or not we'll go along with his plans and uh, take on everything that he offers us. Uh, the record is not good. As we delve into Scripture, we'll see how God's people fail again and again. But as I've so often mentioned, the reason we read these stories in the Bible is so that we will know what not to do. Uh, it seems we're very thick-headed. We take a long time to learn these lessons. But really, we have no excuse for failing because we see in the Bible what people did and the price they paid what God expects of us, and how we find a way to avoid that expectation very often. So the question, will we inherit everything God has for us? And it's an open question. We begin by looking at the promised land. Well, let's begin by praying, and then we'll get into the message. Father, please bless us tonight. Bless me, Lord, as I share this message. It's an important one. Please open our hearts and our eyes to your will for us that in the end we might bring glory to thee. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, God delivered on his promises. In Joshua 11 and verse 23, it says the, the, earth, the land had rest round about, but I want to turn to Joshua 21, 43 and 45, where it gives a bit more depth. Uh, and the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. What a testimony to God. Everything he promised them, he delivered. Well, what did they do with that? 
Some fortunately believe God. Caleb, uh, a wonderful example, we see that in Joshua 14, uh, where Caleb simply said, you know, I believe it, I want it, I'll take it, just set me loose. Uh, verses 6 to 15. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning thee, me and thee in Kadesh Barnea, Joshua and Caleb, the only two of the twelve spies who came back with a positive report. Forty years old was I, says Caleb, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought the, him word again as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. May that be the testimony of every one of us here. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said these forty and five years, ever since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. I'm eighty-five, says Caleb, and I'm as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me. Then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. The Anakims were giants, and they lived in a mountain. And Caleb said, give them to me. God promised it to me. I can take it. Just set me loose. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. And then go down to verse 15. And the name of Hebron before was Kiriath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims. And the land had rest from war. Caleb had a winning attitude. God promised it. I want it. I'm taking it. But for many of God's people, the victories that God provided became defeats. Joshua 23, verses 1 to 16, a lamentable tale, uh, outline of all the defeats. Um, how great churches become dead churches. Bear that in the back of your mind as we read this, because it's an outline here of how a church like ours could become a dead church. There are churches all over this land that are churches in name only. The building's there, there's a name across the door, and they're deader than a doornail. And it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given them rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And Joshua called for all Israel and for the elders, for their heads and for their judges, for their officers, and said to them, I'm old and stricken in age, and you have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that fought for you. And then he tells them how he divided up the land for them. And in verse 6, Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. Don't 
backslide. Don't turn back from God. Don't think you know better than God. Just do what he tells you. That ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done this day, unto this day. And then let's jump forward to verse 14. And behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until... He have destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed yourselves unto them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you. You shall perish quickly from off the good land which he had given unto you. Verses 15 and 16, very important verses. When you turn your back on God, he turns his back on you. When a church begins to turn its back on God, when a church takes for granted the things that God has done for them, when a church uh, fosters uh, gossip and bickering and dissatisfaction, when a church doesn't walk in what it knows it should walk in, uh, there's no special deal for a church like that. God simply moves on and finds another group of people willing to serve him. Victories become defeats when we don't follow God's will and God's way. And there are warning signals before such a bad day comes. Compromise and an incomplete inheritance is the result of not following God. If we go to Judges, uh, it tells us a lot there. Judges is the second of the two books that talk about Israel in the Promised Land. Uh, and Judges is like a roller coaster, up and down, up and down, up and down. God's people serve him, then they backslide, then they go into captivity, then they cry out to God, and he hears their cries, and he sends a judge to deliver them, and for a while they serve God, and then they grow lazy and backslidden again, and God's got to punish them again. Very sad uh, outcome to their lives. In chapter 1 of Judges, in verse 19, we read, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. Now, wait a minute. This is the same God that uh, parted the Jordan River, that caused the walls of Jericho to fall down, that won victories for, for them all over the place. But apparently, Judah didn't trust God enough to drive out uh, the inhabitants of the valley. And then verse 21, And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. And then jump down to verse 27, Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethsheen and her towns, and mentions a lot of other towns there that they didn't clear out uh, the enemy from. Verse 28, It came to pass when Israel was strong, they put the Canaanites to tribute, and did not utterly drive them out. 
Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Giza, but the Canaanites dwelt there. By the way, do you know what the Canaanites represent in these passages? Our sin. Every sin that we hang on to, every little compromise in our lives, everything that we excuse ourselves for because, well, after all, God will understand, and even if he doesn't, it's not that bad, is our attitude. And we see what happens here when we don't drive the Canaanites out, as God tells us to, when we don't take seriously our walk with God. And so in 29 and 30 and 31, he mentions various tribes that don't drive them out. Uh, and it's, it's a terrible litany of failure that was totally unnecessary. And it has a sad, sad end result. If we go to chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. That's God's part. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Don't uh, agree with the inhabitants of the land. Don't compromise with your sin. Don't compromise with your backsliding. Don't get into negative frames of mind in your walk with God. But ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and there God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. It sounds pretty good. They repented. And I'd be impressed at this point if I hadn't read everything from Exodus to this point and see that the, the Israelites lifting up their voices and weeping because they backslide and God has to punish them happens every five minutes. They just constantly turn their backs on God, constantly do what they shouldn't do. And the result, Bakum, means weeping. They actually named the place weeping because they wept so much there because they were in trouble with God. And then uh, look at verse 10. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. They knew not the Lord. This is incredible. Why did they, the new generation didn't know anything about what had happened in the past, didn't know God. Why not? Because their parents never taught them. Those who had gone before, those who had fought the battles, those who had won the victories, those who had seen God's hand, both blessing them and punishing them, didn't pass that knowledge on to their children. One of the greatest lacks, one of the greatest sins that I think parents can commit is not passing on to their children what they know is true. Not passing on to their children what they have endured, what they have experienced, what they know is the right way. And when we don't teach our children, they're going to walk away from God. And that's happened all over the country. As we look at what's happening in our land, it's so easy 
to shake our heads in exasperation and say, those people, look at the way they behave. Well, they behaved so badly because the Christians never shared the truth with them. America didn't arrive where it is today by accident. It didn't kind of drop out of the sky. Uh, after God started this country with such blessing, his obvious presence in everything that America did, everything that America achieved, the greatest nation in the history of the world, and the darkness that descends on us today lies squarely at the feet of Christians, you and I, for not being witnesses, for not being vocal, for not speaking out the wonderful things of God and for not teaching our children. And it's sad. And then we read, Israel does evil in the sight of the Lord from verse 11. Uh, and then look at verse 15. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn at them, and they were greatly distressed. The God who was eager to bless them now it says every time they attempted something for God, he was against them. And then verse 16, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them, and yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not do so. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in. And their fathers obeyed the commandments of the Lord. Well, we know not all the time. But this new generation didn't do so at all. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass... When the judge was dead, that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them, they ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. I've got that last section of that last sentence, treble underlined in my Bible. They ceased not from their own doing nor from their stubborn way. Oh, Lord, help us. May it not be said of anyone in this church. May that never be our testimony. They ceased not from their own doings. What are the dangerous consequences of this? If we do turn aside from God, if we don't learn our lesson from this amazing book, this handbook for life, this guide map, that we hold in our hands, that we have access to any time we want to. We can just open it up and read, and every page is teaching for us, uh, warning for us, blessings for us. Uh, what happens if we don't do what it tells us? Well, we learn in Joshua 10, 13 to 14. Uh, let's start in verse 10. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against thee, both because we have forsaken our God and also served Balaam. And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the children of Ammon and from the Philistines, the Zidonians also, the Amalekites, the Maonites, 
to depress you, and you cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand. Yet, despite all of that, ye have forsaken me and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. And look at this next verse. Go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you. My goodness, that should put fear into our hearts. When we don't walk with God and the day we really need his help, may we never hear those words. You've been doing your own thing all these years. You've been following your way. You've been following your wisdom. You've had your agenda. Go and ask your friends to help you. Go and ask those false gods to help you, those idols to help you, those things that you invested your time, your treasure, your talents in. Go and ask them to help you. Don't come to me says God. That's a frightening answer. Go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. Uh, Jeremiah 11 verse 12 says exactly the same thing. When Jeremiah prophesied to Israel many years after this, when they were very, very backslidden again, his message to them was the same. Go and cry unto your false gods. See if they will help you. So all of that brings us then to the question, will we inherit what God has for us? It's up to us. The blessing is never automatic. God wants us to be adults in his presence, grown-ups, looking at the principles in his word and then applying them to our lives. And because we're imperfect, because we do mess up, because there are times in all of our lives when we do the things we know we shouldn't do, there's a remedy which makes the fact of our failure eat all the worse. And the remedy is just coming to the place where you say, I messed up again. I'm sorry, Lord. Please help me. Help me not to be so dumb the next time I'm confronted by this problem. Help me not to be so rebellious. Help me not to be so self-centered. And God's response is the same every single time. Sure, you're forgiven. Come here, let me bless you. What a fantastic God we serve. And yet we still mess up. It's, it's hard to comprehend. And I'm saying it as one who's messed up royally in my life. So, but it's still hard for me to comprehend what an idiot I can be with, in my walk with God. So will we inherit it all? Will we learn from the mistakes and missteps of others? both in Joshua's day and in our own, what will be our attitude? Compromise or full commitment? And the choice is ours. Dear brothers and sisters in this church, the choice is ours. Everything we need for a victorious walk with God is right here. Will we compromise or fully commit ourselves? And listen, just look, just uh, each of us has got to come to place on a regular basis where we look inside and are honest with ourselves and say, am I really walking with God or am I fooling myself? I can't fool God, but am I fooling myself? And then if the answer is, yes, I am fooling myself, I am compromising, just to come to the throne of grace and say, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to live that way. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And then the devil whispers in your ear, yeah, you've said that a thousand times. And that's true. 
But you know, God is ready to forgive you always a th one thousand first time. As if the other thousand times never happened. That's the wonderful thing about being a Christian. And again, that's what makes our failures so hard to comprehend because he does keep forgiving us and blessing us and encouraging us and lifting us up and coming alongside us and loving our families and caring for our children. And yet it's so easy for us to walk away from him. There are two churches in the Bible that exist side by side. Let's turn there, Revelation chapter 3, and compare those two churches. And as we read this, I think, my own personal opinion, we are very much like the church at Philadelphia, not in every way, but pretty close in many, many areas. But, you know, it doesn't take much for us to become the church at Laodicea. So as we read this passage, let that thought be in the back of your mind. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Boy, that, that is so appropriate for this church. Uh, you don't have a lot of strength. We're not a massive organization. We don't have unlimited funds. We don't have a national reputation. Uh, we don't have too many geniuses in our midst, too many mighty men and mighty women. We have a few, I think. But we have little strength. And God says, that's no problem for me. Thou hast a little strength, but you've kept my word. You have not denied my, hold, my, my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan or the false Christians, the false churches, who say they are Jews and are not, to, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. He's talking here about the tribulation. I believe it's very close. It's at the door. But that's my opinion. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will, my, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Hallelujah. Don't you want to be a church like that? Uh, the church of brotherly love? just drawing God's constant blessing and protection? Well, we can be, but we can also be the church in Laodicea. Verse 14, And unto the angel of the church at the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Wow, what a, what a title. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, 
that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And that word in Greek means I will vomit you. You make me sick to my stomach and I'm going to puke you out. Harsh words. But deserved. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. I got everything I need. Man, this church, we've got a beautiful building. We've got money in the bank. We've got faithful tithers. We support missionaries. We got it all. And you know it not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He's talking here spiritually. Because the church at Laodicea looked at their material blessings, at the size of the congregation, at the beauty of the building, at whatever else they had that was on the outside, and rested in that, and felt that they had all they needed. And they didn't understand that, spiritually speaking, they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and spiritually naked. So he says to them, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. The gold, of course, is God's presence. The white raiment is the raiment that God clothes us in when we come to him for salvation, and he cleanses us of our sins. And every time we come back to him, if we have a spot on that white raiment, he'll cleanse that off. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chase, and be zealous therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. How pathetic that picture is. Jesus Christ bought this church with his own blood. And now he's standing outside knocking, saying, could I come back in? Because you guys kicked me out a long time ago. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. The wonderful thing about the God we serve is that even a church like this, so backslidden and dead spiritually, he says, if you just turn to me, if you overcome, I'll bless you. I'll grant that you sit with me on my throne. You bunch of losers, you sinners, you unrepentant reprobates. But if you'll just turn to me, I'll bless you. What a deal. And then we sit back and say, yeah, but is it worth it? Think of the things I have to give up in order to walk with God. I got this toy, and I got that toy, and I got these plans. Mwah. I'll get back to you, Lord, and let you know what I think. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. What is our response to this? Well, it's right there in your notes. Choose God and live accordingly. That's a real simple formula. Choose God and live as if you mean it. Choose God and live as if that's true in your life. 
Choose God means unchoosing the other stuff, turning your back on the other stuff, whatever it is in your life and mine that hinders us in our walk with God. Just choose God and live accordingly. And everything will be great. And God's blessing will never end. And if you think life is glorious now, it'll get a whole lot better and more spectacular just if we continue, all of us, not just one or two, but all of us as a collective body, if we just choose God and live accordingly. Father, please help us to do just that. Lord, we are so